And welcome to the 407th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always got the cards you need to finish your deck in the back alley outside that tournament. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the stuff that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda for this last week of the year before we go on a little bit of a holiday? We're going to lead off with the Metagame Week in Review, a Modern Challenge Online, plus the DreamHack Atlanta Pioneer Regional Championships. That had 1,300 Pioneer players and some great stories and some terrible stories, too. Segment 2 has our top paper movers, followed by our top movers online. In Segment 4, you and I have cards to watch, things to buy, things to sell. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit more about how DreamHack went and talk about the Year of the Dragon promos that are coming out next year. Because uh, as a you know known aficionado of dragons, this this is my year, and they they really targeted me with some of these. Alrighty, kicking things off here with segment one, metagame week and review. We had our first really big tournament uh, to test the new pioneer meta post bannings. It was at DreamHack Atlanta, which was also USA Regional Championships. This tournament, thirteen hundred and seven players, so quite a large tournament, one of the biggest of the whole year. Blue-White Control took the whole thing down, running four copies of the Wandering Emperor and four copies of five casting costs to Fairy. Blue-Red Phoenix was in second and third. Black-Red Midrange was in fourth. Amalia Combo making its presence known in the format for another week. Four copies of Court of Calling and Collected Company, respectively, in the fifth and sixth place lists. Another black-red mid-range in 7th, and another blue-white control in 8th, this time with 3, the Wandering Emperor, 2, 5 casting cost to fairy, and a Narset Parter of Veils in the Planeswalker slots. I love when they, uh, the first place deck was a Yorion deck, which kind of blows away everything I learned as a baby control player. Like, you wanted the minimum number of cards, so you always had the, the best things, but when you got... Yorion, you're just like, nope, I want 80 cards, and I want instead of 60, and it just kind of turns things on what you think it might be. So I was I was really impressed with, you know, having this, and uh, I also uh, am really impressed with the tools they had to deal with the Amalia combo. Uh, there was a lot of temporary lockdown running around, which is really the perfect answer if things are in play. Yeah, I'm just going through their various anti-creature control elements. I've I've mentioned a few times on cast, and in my Esper control deck I run on 
uh, in historic. I've been running three temporary lockdown for some time, and it's always been good against goblins and elves and all sorts of random decks. And uh, I'm not surprised to see it doing work here as well. Some cute stuff in the sideboard. They have three regal caracal in case they just want to go wide, I guess. Haven't seen that card in a blue-white sideboard before, I don't think. Well, it's also a really good anti-aggro uh, uh, deck. Like, it's, you know, a 3-3, three, three, a 2-2, two, two, and a 2-2. Two, two, and then you've got some lifelink and some speed bumps. And all you need is an extra turn or two. Pretty good thing to follow up a Supreme Verdict with, I suppose. Yeah. And it's also good against, like, point removal decks like Black Red. That want to go exactly. one for one. Yeah. Uh, so that, w- that was the big Pioneer Tournament, looking, you know, relatively healthy. Nothing nothing too dominant here. Uh, format took a s- slight step to the left after the bannings, I would say, and, and much the same over in Modern. The Modern Challenge here on this past Friday was taken down by uh, Crashing Rhinos, Amulet Titan in second, Mono Green Tron in third, Black Red Scam in fifth, Black Green Yogmoth in sixth, Living End in seventh, and Murktide Regent in eighth. That's basically all the good decks that weren't affected by the bannings. And then the most interesting list of the week has got to be this Lotus Field combo deck, which we normally are flagging in Pioneer tournaments. But in this case, it's basically the same deck, but with four copies of the One Ring ported into Modern. Well, there's a few other things going on. You've got uh, Wish, which is uh, doing some work, although I think Wish would also be Pioneer Legal, right? Yeah. So um, you've got Wish and then uh, being able to uh, Underworld Breach, which is also not Pioneer Legal, and that means you get to uh, redo some fun things and just make it into a Thoracle deck. Having the one ring when you're casting Hidden Strings and then you're recasting Hidden Strings with your underworld breach that's some hotness right there buddy yeah i mean this is i'm sure this took some players by surprise (laughs) in the challenge and i'm very curious if we'll see more of this moving forward moving on over to segment two top paper movers rin and siri inseparable buy a box promo going 24 to 30 pretty sure that was a, a cast pick a ways back down the road uh, people love cats and dogs, I'm sure was our argument, and these will eventually, they were very common at the point where they came out, because it was a buy box promo, but it's also the kind of card they're not in any kind of rush to reprint. So the 25% gains here as this slides up into, you know, a relatively high price tier. Cursed Totem at a Mirage, 30 to 38, continuing its slide up the scale. I have seen pockets of this card a lot cheaper, including on eBay. Pretty clear to me that this was targeted on TCG Player um, and from a lot of major vendors, but there aren't just aren't that many copies sitting around right now. I certainly pulled my copies out, including some Russian ones, and got them up for sale, but I haven't sold any yet. Farseek Surge Foils at a Doctor Who going 10 to 15, 50% gains on some Surge Foil targeting that we've come to expect this year. Cursed Totem 6th edition copies, just non-foils, 350 to 5, so even the kind of least desirable versions are starting to slide up the scale. <laughs> Magma Opus, Extended Arts at a Strixhaven, 11 to 17, 50% gains there as it continues to be a presence in Indomitable Creativity and Transmogrify style decks. I mean, there's two in two of the instants and sorceries that you can discard for a treasure, right? This one and the one that's like three double blue double... It does like five damage and you gain five and do another thing I don't remember off the top. So Magma Opus being the mythic version, it doesn't surprise me that this is 
you know, going up faster than the other one. I guess this is a Quintorius card as well, if I recall correctly. Yeah, because you want to get it into play that much faster. Mm-hmm. We also got Mists of Lorien Surge Foils out of LTR. I flagged this early as being a, a, a pretty great card for EDH. Just checking what its stats are so far. 1,200 decks so far. Not super impressive, but uh, I think people are probably sleeping on this. This is not very far off a Cyclonic Rift. Return target non-land permanent and each other non-land permanent with the same mana value as that permanent to their owner's hands. And if you replicate it, then you copy it for each time you pay the replicate cost. So if you say did it for six mana, you could choose three different casting costs, probably clear out all the zero casting costs, treasure or food tokens and so forth, any creature tokens that are lingering around, and then get rid of the most problematic permanents at two other casting costs. It's a very flexible card. Probably underplayed. It's probably underplayed, but it's also, you know, a in this is only in the the special scene bundles, right? And and the holiday CBs. And the holiday boosters. Yeah, okay. the search foils would come out of the CBs for sure. Right. So, yeah, this is uh, a card. I will not be surprised to see this uh, get higher as people start to cast this. But it being so niche, I'm not sure people are aware of it yet is just the main thing. And that's that's the problem. I mean, with things like Doctor Who, they hit us with so many new cards that there's tons of good stuff getting like slipping through the cracks. People complained pretty loudly when Zatelpa Primal Dawn <laughs> caught a reprint in Commander Masters this summer for the umpteenth time. But the foil etched versions started around 250 and have since slid up to 650 and then up by the end of this week at 1350 on Dinosaur Hype. So foil etched continues to be one of the more underprinted of the premium variants and because it's one of the ones that doesn't curl even in the driest months of the winter here in North America, I think it's buoying uh, this particular treatment a little bit. They also look pretty handsome, depending on what, how you're sleeving them. This is also the fact that for all the, the different copies it's had, the only one that looks different is the etched foil. Like right. everything there's else no, is the exact No borderless no bo- of this yet. Yeah. Nothing. Triumph of St. Catherine Surge Foils, 30 to almost $70. That deck, I think, is going for about 135 on TCG players, so this one card out of it is now 60 to 70 Probably supposed to be cracking those decks if, you can't, if you've got some on the shelf and they haven't sold sealed, since there's four or five cards in there that'll cover most of the cost. Return to the Ranks, M15 at just regular copies, 3 to $8. That's the Amalia combo and Pioneer driving that 160% plus. Blue Elemental Blast out of the Spellbook series Jace. Foil version in particular, 7 to 18. There's basically no copies left on TCG Player. Don't know if that was Eternal Weekend that was pushing that or what. Probably. And then Return to the Ranks Foils, 5 to $25. 400% gains on the back of Amalia. I was trying so hard looking at the spreadsheet to figure out what SSJ stood for. I was like, is this some kind of Dragon Ball reference? He's trying to sneak into the spreadsheet? I, I didn't know, but the Jace version makes a lot of sense. We've got Legacy cards on here. We've got Pioneer doing a lot of work. Uh, the card I couldn't remember a minute ago was Creative Outburst. So there's a, a lot going on on here, and it's a really impressive list for where we are in the holiday season. Usually this is kind of a little bit slower. 
but you know we're we're not slowing down at all we're still in warp speed yeah my sales normally would be pretty slow this time of year but they've been just kind of on a high since august that hasn't subsided and yeah i I would say the trend is 70 percent edh 30 percent modern in my inventory and also in what i'm selling and you know i think that's part of why i'm I'm not as down on the market as some other vendors because I have a very specific inventory construction that is probably what they're supposed to be mimicking. I mean, I I saw a lot of kind of hullabaloo on Twitter today where players were criticizing vendors that were at DreamHack for not having a bunch of sub five dollar cards for their decks that's a and that's a whole conversation we'll get to that in a minute we're, we got we'll get to segment five in a moment but yeah that's a a whole thing that gets into a lot of the the privilege that magic players have been experiencing over the years top magic online movers of the week ledger shredder out of snc 11.27 uh, ticks to almost 16 42 percent gains there on blue red phoenix uh, running the card in Pioneer. It also sees plenty of play in, in Standard because Standard, as you pointed out last week, is a three-year format right now. Quintorius Canned out of LCI, 3.13 to 4.44 ticks. I'm assuming it dropped on the ban announcements and is slowly sliding back up. Does that combo deck still exists in Pioneer, although we didn't see it in the uh, top eight list from DreamHack. And then Bloodthirsty Adversary is another uh, top aggro card in Standard that's also seen in Black Red Mid-Range in Pioneer sometimes. 4.79 ticks to 7.19 ticks, 50% gains there. You gotta love it when a card is good in Standard and good in Pioneer, so it's got a lot of things pulling on it. Alright, moving on over to cards to watch. I've got my eye on some Commander Masters etched cards, and I'm looking overseas to get these cheaper whenever I can, but one of the ones that doesn't isn't easy to get say in japan cheaply is jeweled lotus even if they don't play a lot of commander over there they tend to have a respect for the nostalgia style cards that harken to the early days of the game and i think they see the jeweled lotus as a extension like a collectible as that's an extension of the power nine just because it references lotus uh and so they're not that cheap over in japan and Etched Jeweled Lotuses out of Commander Masters have settled at around 115. You can find them a little less, a little more, depending on where you're picking them up. But there's not a tremendous amount of listings left on TCG Player already, less than six months after the release. It's an S-tier ADH staple, and it doesn't have any good homes to be released in the forthcoming uh, set schedule for 2024. Because, of course, the big set next summer is Modern Horizons 3. It's definitely not going to be in there. And it could show up in a standard subset, I suppose. Like, it could be the Mana Crypt in one of the standard sets in 2024. But it could also just completely not be that. There's a lot of other options for them to choose um, along those lines. And it's not the kind of card that I think is very likely to show up in a secret layer because it's worth $100. So seems to me like this is probably safe for a little while now that it's gotten its recent reprinting. And I'm not going to be surprised if these $115 copies slide up to $140, $150, in the next 12 to 18 months if it can dodge the reprint. I think your timeline's a little long on this, but I'm, I'm with you on the card. I don't see any place on the schedule for it. They can always surprise us with things. We got surprised over and over again in this past year, so I'm, I'm not going to take anything for granted that way. 
But at the same time, this is iconically Commander, and this is an anchor card for whatever the next Commander-focused booster pack set is going to be. Because we are... Uh, what do you think the the likelihood is 100% that we end up with serialized jeweled lotus of some kind in a set. It's just going to happen. And that yep. set is going to sell like crazy. So they'll do this. I just don't know what set that will be because there's nothing on the, we, we've seen the schedule for all of 2024 and all of 2025, barring any surprises that they might add in. And that is possible. Um, for instance, the 20th anniversary, you know, thousand dollar boxes were a surprise. But other than something like other than something like that, there's the the summer after is going to be Final Fantasy and I believe the ad, the advent of the Marvel series of releases, so they could slide it in there. I mean, Jeweled Lotus as an Infinity Gauntlet kind of screams it out itself, right? No, I think that's a different thing. Like the, the Infinity Gauntlet seems to me like it's probably going to be its its own set of things. But yeah, a Jeweled Lotus in 2025 will not surprise me at all. But we got some time. Before that, mm-hmm. on the 2024 schedule, I don't see an obvious include. And that's position. why I'm saying a year is good. I think sometime in 25 is where I would expect to see it. And this this is exactly what we talked about. It's etched foil, so it's a sweet version. The art is sparkly and pretty, and a whole lot of Commander players love this card. So I'm I'm with you on this. If you, especially as something where you're thinking about buying it, you should think about buying it now before you have to spend an extra 20 or $40 on it. So this is a very solid pick. I approve highly. Tell me about your first selection. Well, you like etched foils. So do I. Um, I think that Finale of Devastation, I'm really surprised that the Finale cycle wasn't in Ravnica Remastered. And so I think that you've got about a year... Uh, to get a profit in on Finale of Devastation with the caveat of Modern Horizons 3. I would not be shocked if they put that in there, but there's only so many room for Mythics in that set. So this might be a card that somehow doesn't get reprinted again for a while. But that's that's the one big spot. But right now you can get etched foils of Finale of Devastation for around $25. That's up $2 in the last you know four weeks or so. There's more borderless copies out there. Borderless has like three dinosaurs looking really cool and everything. But that's also already near $45. And so I'm liking these that are uh, foil etched. So they look cool. And there's not a lot available on TCG Player. And this is just a really great time to get whatever copies you need of a really ridiculous spell. That's explosive, finisher, tutor, everything all in one. And also probably cheaper in Europe and Japan, unlike the Lotus. Entirely possible. I did not look there. I only looked at TCG Player. All right. Moving along to my next one. It's along similar lines. Doubling season got double tapped between Commander Masters this summer and the uh, Goose, Borderless, and Confetti foil versions, etc. that were in the Wilds of Eldraine Enchanted Tales subset. People then thought it would get triple tapped in Ravnica Remastered as one of the biggest mythics in the set, but it's squeezed out. So no finale devastation, no doubling season. Looks like they showed a little bit of restraint for once because really seemed like an auto include there otherwise. And as a result, I think they've, they're have they going to leave doubling season alone because if they wanted to to triple tap it, they would have here. It was no, no, people were expecting it. So even though they would have been right. criticized, it was an expected 
position. And now that it's not included, people are whining that it doesn't contribute to the EV. <laughs> so, you know, you can't have it both ways. And in the meantime, the etched version is one of the lowest inventory versions and also, again, has that etched premium benefit as something that is lower inventory and not prone to, to curling. And as a result, I would definitely take a look at $35 etched foil doubling seasons because if it can dodge the triple tap for another year or two, then it's probably going to go 35 to 55 would be my thinking. Worth flagging that heading into 2024, these are the kind of picks that five years ago would have felt very safe, and now it just has to be flagged that they're not as safe as they used to be. You're you're going to get hit on some of these. You're going to do well on others. Your overall mar- exp- expected margin next year versus five years ago, it's got to be lower. Right. But you're on a, a realistic timeline here. I, I think you're correct. We're not going to get a version of this. Like, they're not going to put this in Modern Horizons 3. This is iconically casual. This is the casual player's card of all cards. It goes into 4,300 different kinds of commander deck, whether it's counters, whether it's planeswalkers, whether it's uh, what token you name, creature tokens. Yeah, so just everything you want to do, you can do with it. And I agree that, you know, uh, five years ago, this would have been just like buy them all and just wait. As it is, I think your pick of 35 to 55, totally valid. You can get in and then resell for a profit sometime in the next year and not be sitting on tenterhooks waiting for 2025 to just sneak up and uh, whack you with a reprint stick. And I'll tell you, like, one of the things that I'm doing to mitigate risk is I'm not going super, super deep on anything. Like, mm-hmm. Masterpiece Soul Ring, Travis and I famously win it on, like, 20 or 30 copies, right? I, I would not buy 20 copies of Jeweled Lotus Etched, especially since the, the likely return is relatively modest. I, I would have gone in on a special premium doubling season pretty deep five years ago, but now I would just dabble and kind of pick, you know, pick around the edges of the best pricing, look for some cheap copies in Japan, etc. And, you know, end up with a handful of a variety of copies. These kind of super staples sell for me very, very easily. Like I've been posting a lot of my Double Masters 2022 inventory recently and things like Bloom Tender, uh, Phyrexian Altar, Sensei's Divining Top, Teferi's Protection, Smothering Tide. These cards just sell constantly. So if you can get in at a, at a reasonable price point, you know, overseas or otherwise, trade out of some cards into some cards, you're going to be able to get exit fairly easily. And though I definitely believe there will be a Jeweled Lotus version down the road and a Doubling Season version down the road, there are characteristics to Etched that are unique. And hopefully that'll be enough. It should be. I think you're on the right track here. All right, how about your final selection? So I don't know if you read my piece on Friday, but uh, with Ravnica Clue, or Clue Ravnica? Uh, no, it's Ravnica Clue Edition, not Clue Ravnica Edition. They're giving us the mechanically unique Colonel uh, Mustard, Miss Peacock, um, all the uh, Lady Scarlet, all those cards. And they gave us uh, two of them already we've seen. And one of them is Commander Mustard, a red-white guy who gives soldiers vigilance and trample and haste, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. Yeah, vigilance, trample, haste. He's three red-white for a 5-5 vigilance. He also has tap 
Uh, so you you spend two red white until end of turn. Soldiers you control gain whenever this creature attacks. It deals one damage to the defending player. So it gives everybody Hellrider ability. And you can activate that more than once in a turn if you're feeling real spicy. We haven't gotten a good soldier commander yet. We've gotten a lot of commanders that make soldier tokens. But we haven't really gotten a good lord for the soldiers in this way. And so like last week I talked about Rick, the steadfast leader. Uh, this week I'm picking the Horn of Gondor Surge Foils from the Holiday Lord of the Rings edition. You can get these for like 50 cents right now on TCG Player. And I'm picking them to have a pretty modest 500% gain to go up into the $3 range. It might go higher because of the way it works where you pay three, you get the horn, it comes with one human soldier, you pay three tap, and you add a number of soldiers where the number of soldiers you control, you double up on your soldiers. All you gotta do is activate that two or three times and you've got the horde and you're ready to just uh, break some face. And it is exactly the kind of card that commander players are gonna love. The surge foils are only in the holiday edition, so we're not gonna get more of those. The only other fancy version was the extended art regular foil, which was in the sample booster commander packs that were we talked about all summer. And so this is a cheap little spec pick that you can get a lot of copies of, but nobody has a lot of inventory. So you're going to end up, if you buy a lot of these, you're going to end up sorting through a lot of envelopes. But I think 50 cents to around 3 bucks. you know, we've seen plenty of surge foil action already. And this one has a real target for it with all the human soldiers that are about to go nuts. There's actually three solid mono-white soldier and or human commanders of note that help boy this given enough time. My Rel Shield of Argive is the fourth most built white commander of all time, 4,100 decks registered on EDH Rec. We also have Darien, King of Keldor, uh, uh, which is a 3-3 for 6. Whenever you're dealt damage, you can create that many 1-1 white soldier creature tokens, 2,600 decks. And then you also have Adeline, Resplendent Cathar, for that makes uh, white, white, 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens uh whenever you attack so between the three of them and and there's some other decks as well like your Ginny phase and so forth i have a, a horn of gondor in there. there there's a lot of attacky decks token decks that can make use of the horn and it's just a good card 50 cents seems scandalously low for the surge foils so even it really does picking, doesn't it yeah you're gonna have if you're a solid commander player with a growing collection you're gonna and you pick up a handful of these you're gonna your worst case scenario is you got surge foils for your decks for 50 cents which seems totally fine wrapping up cards to watch i've got a sell call this is just seems super obvious to me uh edgar markov only has two versions it was on our probably going to catch a reprint list for commander masters but didn't show up there didn't show up anytime this fall in subsets that seemed like they might be Halloween themed didn't show up in a secret layer. So the original commander 2017 version that came with his deck is sitting at $187 for the lowest price copy, $187. And the only other version that exists is the judge foil that I run with my deck and it's up at $300 with only seven listings left. And it goes 273, 300, 312, 428 on TCG player. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and say they will find a way to print Edgar Murkov 
sometime in the next year and it could very easily be a secret layer if it headlines a secret layer that layer is probably a target because look at how expensive these fancy versions of of edgar are and neither of these is particularly nice and there's no borderless version so the first great art borderless version especially if it's got like a cool guest artist or something is going to do very well in the meantime if you're sitting on these or you've got one with your deck you're supposed to sell it like i'm gonna put my copy up for sale i'll put it a little (laughs) higher than than so that it doesn't immediately sell out from under me but if i got to use a little paper token for a little while and put 300 dollars in my pocket i think that's pretty good it's hard to argue with that especially if you got it at a good price you know if you've been playing markov for a while then you probably did get it when it was closer to 60 dollars. you're like oh man this is expensive but it's worth it and it's just such a busted card it does exactly what you're deck wants to do and just gives you more vampires to do foolish things with and you know the only other thing they might do is give you a four color uh vampire commander at some point but it would have to be very good to make edgar markov look bad you know like with uh dragon we talked about uh, what they could do to be a better dinosaur commander than gishath and they gave us the one with Discover X, where Discover is the dinosaur's toughness. So it is possible they give us something amazing and synergistic for vampires again. But would you just put that into Edgar's deck? You know, it's not like it's one or the other. People are going to go for the peanut butter and the chocolate. But yes, I would be selling this card in anticipation of a reprint that uh, Wizards is going to do in order to boost the EV, but because Edgar's value is almost completely dependent on his scarcity, that he's only got the one judge printing, only got the Commander 2017 printing, and a lot of those didn't make it into circulation. You know, people just bought the deck and kept it and played the card, so I, I'm with you. This is a sell. I would be getting rid of this. Also worth flagging that this was a selection of mine in Cards to Watch back on September 1st, 2020, picked at 22 to go to 40, and by December 28th of 2021, it had gotten to 105. Now we're looking at, as we said, 270 to 300. So if you got in on 10 of these when I told you to, you spent $220, and now it's worth three grand. That seems good. Good job. (laughs) I wish I'd bought 10 when you said that. (laughs) Uh, Certainly going to get my copies up for sale and all of you should too i mean you know if there's nothing immediately likely to include it but they do announce secret layers every six to eight weeks so wouldn't wait too long uh moving on you wanted to have a little chat about the the debate about what vendors should be taking to major tournaments these days so let's start off with the the setting here it's dreamhack right so it's a 1400 player giant event going on it's the regional with a whole champ- bunch of side events with a whole bunch of big side events actually a whole bunch of big side events whole bunch of vendors and people are running around and apparently uh, bitter triumph the uncommon out of lost caverns of ixalan was going for something like five to ten dollars because people were desperate to fill out their deck the other one i heard talked about was inti uh, right. seneschal of the sun which is a red aggro card necessary in standard and pioneer it is a brutal card too but like here's the thing the reason why this is so expensive is because players weren't prepared it is not the job of a vendor to cover everything you might possibly want 
Like they've got to bring in everything that they think is going to keep their business going. And their business is not going to be kept going by a bunch of cheap cards. Uh, there were a lot of examples being thrown around on Twitter of like, oh, I needed this and this card was super expensive at this time because nobody had any. Well, nobody had any. Big deal. They, they're, nobody is going to lose sleep over selling uh, $5 uncommons because there were two players willing to do that in the room. And I I mean, you'd lose a lot of money betting against the the selfish nature of Magic players. Like, we famously have the saying about if you folded a $100 bill in a booster pack, they'd complain about how you folded it. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of... From my perspective, I think it's a little more nuanced than all that. The, the, there's a lot in there I agreed with. There's there's a couple of things I, I, I think we need to highlight. I think that really what's going on here is that there are three different parties there's the player base there's the vendors and there's the tournament organizers slash wizards in its role as a partner on those big projects um, to promote the game and from the player's perspective it's like well aren't vendors supposed to be there to sell me the cards i need to play in the tournament the easy answer to that is yeah but that's not their only role like a vendor pays to be there so they don't have to do anything, right? They, they pay for the privilege. And they pay a lot. It's that many thousands of dollars for these big, big events. So it's they can do what they want to do. Because like you, they paid to be on site. It's not like Wizards gives them free slots and the agreement is that they will stock the cards necessary to support the tournament being run. Now, I will say that from the tournament organizer's perspective, working something out with the vendors ahead of time with some kind of hot list and encouraging them to stock the necessary cards or to take pre-orders for the cards via an advanced e-com system attached to the registration process like you register your deck and you flag the six cards you need and then that goes into a hopper that can be claimed by vendors that have signed up for the event and then you get a notice from that vendor that says hey just wanted to let you know you'll be picking up the 10 cards you need from booth 653 available starting friday at noon there's a lot to be said for how beneficial that would be one of the problems with that ever developing is that there are very few tournament organizers that are running tournaments frequently enough to invest in such a system. There, what, during the heyday of constructed tournaments where you had Star City Games running pretty much everything on the East Coast and Channel Fireball running everything on the West Coast and a couple of other big tournament organizers in, in regions like Europe and Canada, <clears throat> that was a little more likely. These days, it's very unlikely for that kind of infrastructure to just manifest, especially since Wizards doesn't seem particularly interested in supporting it from their side of things. And so from the vendor perspective, it's as you said, they're going to put the things in their booth that have the highest revenue potential per square foot of booth space they take up. Put more simply, they have a display case of a certain size, if they can put a volcanic island instead of 20 50 cent cards in that booth and they're both they would both sell they're going to go for the volcanic island that, that just makes perfect sense which is not to say that vendors did not had 
sum total across all of the vendors present had zero copies of these cards. They for sure did. They just sold it. Whoever had them sold out of them quickly or asked what seemed like exorbitant rates. But on that side of things, where have you been for the last 20 years? Like that That's what Magic has always <laughs> been. I was going to standard tournaments in 2003 where the $2 card was $5 to $10 on the floor. That's just expected. And if you don't source your cards ahead of time, that's what you're facing. So, I mean, on that side of things, I don't have a, a tremendous amount of uh, empathy. But I think it benefits all. The system works better for everybody if they can sort it out. I don't think it's anybody's fault per se, but there is definitely some work to be done trying to meld the whole thing together in a way that works. Now, all that being said... I I take issue with one thing that you said. There is somebody at fault, and it is a player who is trying to switch decks at the last minute. And we're talking like at the event level stuff. We're not talking ordering cards two or three days ahead of time. This is, oh, rather than uh, check at a local store or pay TCG player... Uh, I don't have time for that because I didn't plan for it because I'm doing a last minute switch. Like that's that's the person who is who's who's at fault here. I mean, ultimately, you're responsible for your own deck, so I don't disagree with that. But I would say that that a lot of the cases isn't somebody switching decks. It's somebody who thought they could that they either assumed the cards would be there, or they assumed their friend would have them, or they asked to borrow them and the person didn't didn't produce them. Or they figured they would go to their store on Thursday and then they were on the road Friday. And when they got to the store, the store was sold out because everybody else that was going to the tournament had already so, already cleared it out. So, it's a li- I, again, I think it's a little more nuanced. But I agree with you. Your deck is your responsibility. I mean, Aaron Forsyth was, took to Twitter and was saying much the same thing. And, and vendors said the same thing. And, and vendors defended, you know, their the fact that tournaments are more expensive for them. And box cracking is, you know, for standard is not really incentivized in the current economic model for the release schedule of the game. And, you know, it's unlikely to change in the near future. And players that want to grind need to be aware of all that and and plan ahead. I mean, the bottom line is if you're putting together a paper, you know, a deck for a paper tournament, you should really just get order those cards online two weeks before you leave. Yes, full hard agree there. Now, sometimes just last-minute meta shifts, that's, you know, a, a normal thing. And especially with the given that this was a big Pioneer tournament and they had bannings just last week, uh, Wizards did admit that they exacerbated the situation and, the, and said that they are planning on trying to avoid that in the future, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot else to say about that. We could probably turn our attention to the Year of the Dragon promos. For the last several years, there's been APAC promos, which is Asia-Pacific region that were mostly available in China, Japan, and and other countries in the region, Philippines, and so forth. This year, those promos are going to be available throughout the LGS network in, I think, Europe and North America. And because it's the Year of the Dragon, uh, by the Chinese calendar, the promos are all dragon-related. I think we can both agree the most exciting one there is Korvold, which is easily the best-looking Korvold we've got. I mean, it's the the most expensive one. I'll I'll give you that. I think uh, some of the other ones look a lot cooler, but we have a lot of versions of Sarkhan Unbroken already. Corvold, 
He's only been reprinted once, right? Mm, I don't think he's been reprinted at all outside the list. It was thrown about. He's only you're right. List. And he, it he was doesn't only have the... a. I don't think he has a foil version either. If I'm not mistaken. Oh no, he does have a foil. It must have been the foil was in the deck. Yeah, he was the 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 face card for the deck. But uh, that is a cool ass Corvold. I'm not sure if was he a face. Yeah, I guess maybe he was a face. Yeah, so cool art on Corvold. And what else did they give us? They gave us uh, a Dragon Lord Servant, which is a, a strong include. A very awesome Sarkin Unbroken, the Dragon Tempest. That is uh, five different color dragons coming together. Could be the Kamigawa dragons. I can't quite tell. And then a ridiculously amazing Steel Hellkite to go with a dragon token that's only the 4-4 flyer. And a mountain that um, it'll be given out at a much different pace than the other events. So what's going on is that there'll be four seasons. Uh, one, three of them are standard, and you get uh, Steel Hellkite, Corvold, and the Dragon Tempest for playing in those events. But in the Modern Horizons 3 season, whether you're playing Modern, Standard, Draft, or Sealed, you're going to get this this really cool-looking mountain. And it is just a mountain, but it's a pretty cool mountain. And if you're a dragon enthusiast... You're going to want a lot of these mountains, and I think there's going to be a chance to make some money off these mountains. I'm not totally sure how many are going to end up just sold as giant packs by different uh, people who pretend to have stores, but we'll see how that distribution goes, because it's it's very cool. It's got dragons like going in and out of the mist around a mountain, and I am going to want a lot of these cards. Uh, Sarkin Unbroken has come and gone out of my... Ur Dragon deck a few times. Dragonlord Servant, I want to play, but the Steel Hellkite is just so cool looking that I'm going to have to find a home for that. Alrighty, I guess that brings us pretty much to the end of, of 2024. Um, by all accounts, in, in our Discord, a pretty fantastic year for Magic. Uh, no shortage of concerns that I think we will uh, take Wizards to task on as we do our year-end review. We're going to take next week off and be back the week after, just after New Year's, to do our 2024 year in review. That will include reviewing all the cards to watch from summer of 2022 to summer of 2023. We'll do our year in review and talk about what's coming up for 2024. In the interim, where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, pause i finally filed my article on how to deal with mtg finance in the era of reprints like three thousand words you can find that on mtgprice.com this week you can also find low-cost group buys and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering 
Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for today, James, and we've got a vacation, and then, like you said, we've got our review where we find... I, I believe I beat you last in last year's stats, didn't I? Am I remembering that correctly? I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but we'll have to double check that and compare measuring sticks for this year as well. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Cliff. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.